What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. A science story, huh? And I just thought, well, I figured it, out. it was that golden moment. Because science was on my side. Hi, everyone. I'm Ben Lilly, and welcome to the Story Collider, where we bring you true personal stories about science. This week's story is from Moran Cerf as part of our Chicago event in association with the American Association for the Advancement of Science annual meeting. The story was recorded in February 2014 at American Junkie in Chicago, Illinois. I just came here from teaching. 20 minutes ago I was in class. Um, hence the confused look. Um, I'm a scientist, particularly a neuroscientist, and as such, uh, I'm interested in how we perceive things by looking uh, at the brain and understanding how it works. This worked well with a lot of, uh, uh, of my research colleagues. It didn't work well with my girlfriend, who kept uh, not understanding how I attribute uh, just the acts of the mind to all kinds of things that she, and she perceived as emotional. So we had a lot of problems with my feelings, which we talked about. I, I, I experienced in my mind a lot of feelings and I could uh, break them down to the neural pathways that lead to their existence. Uh, and she was mostly concerned in the uh, way we communicate by just explaining what's going on and solving that. The one uh, 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 feeling that I could clearly uh, express was fear. Fear is a... Uh, a feeling that neuroscientists like to look at because it's very easy to understand. The pathways are kind of clear and it's shared by a lot of animals. Rats, mice, monkeys, they all feel fear. So we can understand pretty well how it works by just looking at the brains of many animals. So I was particularly interested in fear and fear was something that I experienced often. I'm afraid right now speaking to you guys. I'm, I'm afraid of heights, darkness, all kinds of things can make me afraid. So I understood what's going on in my mind when I was experiencing them. One of the scariest experiences... I learned about was the experience of one day going back home late at night in New York and crossing Washington Square Park around midnight. It was pretty empty and as I was walking back to my apartment crossing it I saw a man sitting on a bench uh, and uh, playing with some toy in his hand. I couldn't see what it was, but it looked pretty dangerous to me. So I immediately looked away and kept walking straight. And after a few steps passing him, I heard him calling, hey, you, come over here. And against every rational thought, I turned back and I started walking to this guy. And as I got closer to him, it was clear that he uh, was pretty alarming, that what he was playing was with was a knife. And still I approached him only to be uh, attacked by a guy uh, who wanted to mug me. And uh, he said, uh, bitch, get naked, I'm going to steal everything you have and I'm going to leave. This story didn't happen to me really. It happened to my patient, SM. And as she told me this story, I could experience this, uh, this, entire, exp uh, this entire flow of ex uh, 
things that she went through, but I understood exactly why she came back. SM is a very unique patient. The neuroscientist in the audience might know her. She's one of a handful people in the world who have a unique disorder where they experience no fear. She was born with a, a, a disease called Urbachfei, which basically means that uh, when her brain was developed, she didn't develop the part of the brain that's called the amygdala, both on the left and on the right. And this is a part of her brain that uh, is associated with experiencing and feeling fear. And she never had that. This is why she told me the story of her walking in the park and being approached by a guy that clearly she could understand was dangerous. She didn't have this, this desire not to go. She was just curious. If you meet SM, a 42-year-old woman from Iowa, you immediately know that something is not typical about her. First of all, you would realize that she is very, very friendly. Having no fear makes you friendly. She would hug you right away. She would be really nice to you. Also, she would speak to you from this distance. Not having a sense of fear makes you not understand what the space is. And she just speaks to you from the place that's easiest to hear, which is the closest to your face. SM is single-handedly responsible for the careers of many, many scientists. Because finding a person with no fear lets you see how the absence of this structure in the brain works. So you can imagine that I was ecstatic when as a grad student I learned that SM is going to come to Caltech and people in our group can get to study her. I immediately went to the website where it was announced and I wanted to sign up for an hour-long experiment with SM. But I learned that I was too late. All of my colleagues knew about her visit far in advance and all the time with the SM was already captured. I could not run any study with her. And it is known that running a study with SM is really important for a career. So I was pretty upset that I missed my chance of greatness as a grad student. But then the miracle happened. I got an email from one of my colleagues, Professor Ralph Adolfs, who is the person who invited SM to Caltech to run the study. And he said that uh, we need some help, we need some volunteers, because SM is going to be running studies from 8 a.m. in the morning to 5 p.m., but then someone needs to take her out to, to tour the city, to see museums, to walk around. They wanted to have a good time, so they asked for volunteers to show her around the city. And I immediately had an idea. I volunteered for all the hours. I took all the week with SM, and I said, I'm going to take her to everything. I'm going to show her around, I'm going to take her to the museum, I'm going to take her around. It's going to be my responsibility to show her around the city. And I actually had a different plan in mind. What I was going to do is I was going to run a secret experiment with SM unbeknownst to anyone. Now, some of you are, you are scientists, you know about IRB, you know about approvals, you know about things like that. None of that was important to me at that stage. I felt I have this unique opportunity to study a human brain uncontrolled experiment by my desire. At that time, I should tell you that uh, one of my biggest fears was the dean of the department. Uh, which uh, uh, made me experience all the symptoms that you can think of, elevated uh, heart rate, uh, bigger pupils, uh, increased skin conductance, all of those things. I was going to take the symptoms of fear that I knew came to me when I decided to do this risky thing and study SM in those conditions. I'm going to take her and I'm going to make her go through all kinds of fearful experiences and I'm going to see how she responds to those things based on her pupil size, heart rate, skin contact, and so on. Now, as you can imagine, it's not allowed to do experiments with people without getting permission, let alone experiments that involve fear. These are the only experiments I was going to do in the coming week. 
What I was going to use is something that I call the hacker way, which is basically you do something without asking for permission. If you get caught, you're in trouble. But if you don't get caught and you do something well, then people just say, okay, forget it. We, we're going to forgive you. So, you, so you, you, it's based on merit. SM arrives and on the first day. She's doing experiments all, all day long. And in the afternoon, I come to pick her up and I ask her, what do you want to do? And she say, whatever you want to do, you can take me to anything in the, in the city, in Los Angeles, that I can see. And I say, you know, there's something that exists only in Los Angeles that you probably don't know of, and I can show you. It's called Six Flags. <laughs> I'm going to take you to see this place. And I take SM to Six Flags. I hook all of my machines to her body, and we start playing with the roller coasters. <laughs> Nothing. No change in heart rate, no people size change. No, no change in respiration. She's just not experiencing fear. She's enjoying us tremendously. We have an hour and a half of, of fun in the roller coasters, but I cannot get any change. She doesn't experience fear. I take her to the hotel. I go back to my place and I, I scheme for the next day. I have five more days to find somehow a way to make SM, the woman with no amygdala, experience fear. On day two, I pick her up at 5 p.m. And she says she's pretty tired, she wants to go to the hotel. And I say, okay, we can go to the hotel, but on the way there, do you mind stopping for a second with me in the pet store? I want to get uh, food for my dog. She says, sure, no problem. We go to the pet store, but instead of going to the left side where the pet food is, I veer to the right where the reptiles is. Oh, now I came in advance to the, reptile, to the store, and I met the 16-year-old uh, store manager <laughs> who uh, uh, assured me that the reptiles are not poisonous. And that uh, he knows that because the poisonous ones have a, a green stripe on their forehead and the non-poisonous one have a red one. And in the store, they have only one poisonous one. And he's colorblind, but he's pretty sure it's this one. <laughs> so no worries. I take SM, who doesn't know anything about it, and I tell her, do you want to hold one of the reptiles, one of the little snakes, and, and see? And she reaches to it with no problem, picks up a snake from the aquarium and, and plays with it. I'm not sure if it was the red or the green one, because I was a mile away, uh, hiding in the back with little goggles. But clearly, the snake was afraid. Uh, people elevated and his heart rate was higher. She plays with the snake, puts it back, and we leave. No sense of fear, day two. I drop her at the hotel, and I go back to my home, trying to scheme for another risky thing. On day three, we climb St. Gabriel Mountain, and we sit on top of a cliff with our hand, legs dangling from the top of the cliff. Nothing. On day four, we went to a haunted house. Day after day, I tried to make her scared, and nothing worked. It's the last day. She's about to leave in a few hours. My job is just to show up at 5 p.m., pick her up from the office, and take her to the airport. And I've got nothing to show for this entire week. I come at 5 p.m. to the place where we usually met, I open the door, and she's not there. There's a little note saying, Moran, please come to room 505. I know what room 505 is. It's the dean's office. I walk to the dean's office, and I start experiencing increased pupil size, <laughs> heart rate, elevated skin conductance, and I know that something is not right. I enter, and I see the stern look on my boss's boss, where he said, it came to my attention that you've been running some illegal experiment this week. Just to be clear, if you don't know, this is clearly a way to be fired from school. It's also a way to be in prison for federal break of, of many, many laws. And the thing is, as he asks me what I did this week, I think about two things. A, 
how did he know about it? How did he find out about it? I didn't tell anyone. She didn't tell anyone, I hope. How did he know about it? And the other thing, I realized for the first time how stupid I was. Up to that moment, all I cared about was about my science, about being opportunistic and finding the best study to come with this one. I didn't even think about the risks I was putting myself and her in. All the feels I experienced was about myself and about me not getting the results I wanted. I was about to explain to the dean what happened. And as I started slowly articulating one after the other, the things we've been to this week, it dawned on me how stupid I was. I didn't have data to show for it, which was the stupidest thing. And this entire hacker way only works if you succeed. When I didn't succeed, it was just a stupid thing that I did. And just when I see his eyes getting angrier and angrier, there's a knock on the door and SM is out there. And she joined us. She was supposed to meet me at the office. She came and saw the note that was for me. So she also followed me to the same place. And as I explained to the dean what I went through, she heard just the last words. She enters the office and says, and I'm so thankful for you, Moran, for doing all those things for me, for taking me to Six Flags, for showing me the pesto I wanted to see. And she basically tells the entire story as if she asked me to do that. And then says, oh, I didn't understand. So this was what you wanted to do in the city? She says, yeah, I really wanted to do that. I really wanted to see those places. And Moran was so gracious to take me to all those places. We leave the office. One thing I know about Urbachfeier, the disease that SM has, is it also makes you not be able to lie. So I don't understand what's going on. We go to the car to drive to the airport, and I ask SM subtly, why did you lie? And she says, I looked at you and I heard how you talked to the dean, and you sounded worried. You sounded like you were scared. And I say, wait, wait. Do you understand what I was experiencing? She said, of course, you were afraid. I say, then what does fear mean to you? as a person who doesn't experience fear. And she says, well, there's two types of fear. There's the cognitive fear that comes from your brain, and there's the fear that comes from your heart. And you are experiencing the fear that comes from your heart. My week-long date with my new girlfriend, SM, <laughs> was not only a schooling for me on what good science and what bad science is, but apparently it was the first time I thought about this experience I had all this time of emotions that are coming not from your head. Thank you. That was Moran Cerf. Moran is a neuroscientist at NYU and Northwestern University. Prior to his career in opening and studying brains, Moran used to work as a hacker in various security companies, breaking into banks and financial institutes to make a living. Moran is involved in the storytelling community and is also the Alfred P. Sloan faculty at the American Film Institute in Los Angeles, where he teaches screenwriting. For more science stories, take a look at storycollider.org, where we have archives of the podcasts and upcoming events. Also, we depend on listeners like you for our support. If you love the podcast, please consider donating at storycollider.org slash donate. The Story Collider is produced by me, Brian Wecht, Aaron Barker, and Ari Daniel. The podcast is produced by Rose Eveleth. Additional help from Brooke Williams, Lena Groger, and Justin D'Ambrosio. The theme music is by Ghost. Special thanks to American Junkie for hosting the show and to my fear 
for keeping me away from snakes. Thanks for listening. Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes, so doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress instead of perfection. You don't have to give up carbs or anything. And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M dot com. And check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for a hundred healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold.